0: Alhamdulillah, you are the one الله the one whos the one whos <laughs> the one whos the one whos the one so now we're on page 77. The third thing that Imam al-Zayat is mentioning that we must not do in order to get the fast of the Salihin, That is, hear not what displeases Allah So as closing one's ears to everything reprehensible. For everything unlawful to utter is un- is likewise unlawful to listen to. That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala equated the eavesdropper with the profiteer in his words, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Listeners to falsehood, consumers of illicit gain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, Why do the rabbis and priests not forbid them to utter sin and consume unlawful profit? Silence in the face of backbiting is therefore unlawful. Allah Ta'ala said that you are then just like them. That is why the Prophet some said that the backbiter and the person who listens are associates and partners in sin. Okay. So first thing is just like we had the don't use your eye to look at anything that is displeasing to Allah Don't use your tongue to say anything that is displeasing to Allah ta'ala. Third thing is, don't use your ear to listen to anything that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Same discussion, don't listen to anything that's haram or makroo, or ideally, try not even to listen to anything that is fulul or love, anything that is futile, pointless, because again, it would be foolish to spend that precious time of Ramadan listening to things that have no benefit to anyone. Again, imagine that it's time for your exam or your professional exam or your major day at work. And I say, would you like to listen to this audio documentary on the polar bears of the Arctic? Now, it's not sin. But you say, it's fuzul. You say, it would be foolish for me to listen to that. But I say, why? You say, because I'm very busy. I said why? Because my time is precious. So that's the way you should feel in Ramadan. I'm busy the whole month. I'm booked. Allah, Allah has booked me for Ramadan. I'm booked. Now, after Ramadan or before Ramadan, but in Ramadan, I'm booked. It would be foolish to listen to things that are of no value and no benefit. So now you see, you laughed when I gave that example, but you understand, it's not just about not doing things that are sin. It's considered foolish to do things that aren't beneficial. The whole world would call such a student foolish Then instead of studying for the exam, he's listening to documentary on polar bears of the Arctic Circle, or Antarctic, Arctic, whichever one they are. Right? So just like that, Ramadan is like a big exam. But then it's a big special time for us to reap as many hasanat, as many barakat as we can. And we don't want to miss an opportunity. Then, the second point that Imam Sai meant that everything that is unlawful to say is unlawful to hear. So if a person wants to know what can I not hear, so go back, don't listen to any lying. Don't listen to any backbiting. Don't listen to any obscenity, profanity. Don't listen to rudeness. Don't listen to arguing, etc., etc. The same list, you can pick it up and put it over here. And obviously, there are other things that we all know are not permissible to listen to, whether it's unlawful lyrics, unlawful music, unlawful ideology, unlawful banter, right? There's also many things like that that are unlawful to listen to. Then Imam Ghazali even took it to another level and he gave proofs from Quran and Sunnah for this. And the sum of this whole paragraph is basically that if you listen to evil even if you're not doing it, listening to evil is also going to make you guilty of evil. So if you just fast forward to the last days Sayyidina Sussam that the backbiter and the person who listens to them are partners in sin. So this is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa was trying to give the same lesson. That first they committed the sin that they listened to falsehood. Then they committed the second sin that they consumed unlawful profit. Right? Same thing that why don't the rabbis and priests prevent them? Why do they listen passively to it and not do anything about it? Okay. So let's stick with this example to illustrate the whole concept. So what is the person supposed to do then if somebody backbites in front of me? So I'm sitting with X and X, there's a ghibad of Y in front of me and I listen to it in the sense that I hear it. I wasn't sitting with him for the sake of listening to this but obviously he said it in a conversation with three, four people and I was sitting there at that table so I heard it. So if I'm just silent that's going to be a problem for me. So now, there are different levels in which you have to speak, and it depends on the situation, right? The highest level is called Nahi Anal Munkar. Nahi Anal Munkar. Which means that you would tell that person that, look, you know, what you just did right now is backbiting. You may realize it, or you may not realize it, but it's my duty, as your fellow believer, to make you realize that. Now, you may not always be able to do this in every situation, right? It may be your mother-in-law who is saying something about the other daughter-in-law. And if you try to do Nahyan al munkar with the mother-in-law, then the girls can tell you what happens in that case. <laughs> huh? Allah <laughs> Okay, so maybe you can't always use the direct approach. But you have to then use an indirect approach. You still can't be silent. You still can't be silent. So another way is, then, to say something good about that person. So, for example, if somebody says, Oh, you know, X, you know, X really gets angry all the time, unfairly. So you heard it, you were sitting there. So say, you know, but X also gives a lot of charity, right? So you've mentioned something good about that person. And then the way you give the hidaya or doubt to the person who did the backbiting, you see, you know, X also gives a lot of charity. And you know, let's be honest, all of us have some good qualities and some bad qualities. So the person who is even average intelligence will realize that I'm getting a guidance here, and a nasiha here, an advice here, a signal here, that, you know, this isn't something appropriate to say. Because we all have good qualities and all have bad qualities. And if we all start exposing the bad qualities of one another, then there will be nobody who will be unexposed left in the world. So, some uh, these are just ways, I'm saying, you can come up with other ways also, but with wisdom, with temperance, but you do have to say something. If you can't say something for some reason, then there is one last thing you can do, which is called adas an al You have to leave that gathering. You simply excuse yourself politely. You don't have to make a hus and if You don't have to stand up and say uff. No, if you can say uff, then better than you sit down and say something with wisdom. <laughs> There is no need to express your frustration and exasperation. That's not wise. (laughs) Right? Then you can get up and excuse yourself. That is also an expression. And any person of average intelligence will also realize. Right? That, you know, all of a sudden they got up and even if they quietly, politely didn't say anything, but they left. So maybe something happened that was inappropriate, which caused them to make that decision to leave. Now, our problem is that many of us are too shy. So, sometimes it's very good to be shy. But this type of shyness, shyness to do Amar Bil and Nahid is not a good thing. And other people have another problem that they're too bold. Sab Tok Na Chate. Rok Tok. Love it. They're just waiting for somebody to deliver so that they can do their Nahyan al-Murka. They're ready. They have the ammunition. The gun is fully loaded. And they're just waiting. <laughs> Somebody does some Murka. Right? And I can drop my Hadith. I can say to them, "Huh? So this is another extreme. This is sometimes harsh temperament. This is also not good. This isn't the way the Paul sunnah You see, when you follow Sunnah, you have to follow what he did and how he did it. It's not enough to just follow what he did. So when you look at hadith and say the way he did naheenul mukarram, it was with wisdom, it was with excellence, it was with temperance, right? And that's why it had a good effect. And the one who just wants to rope talk, which in English means they just want to, you know, point out the person's problem. It's not successful. You actually won't be successful. You'll walk away patting yourself on the back. I did a really (laughs) super dust nail mokar. But you didn't succeed. (laughs) You didn't succeed. It didn't change. It's not going to change the person's behavior. In fact, the only thing will happen once you walk away is they'll start doing your vibhat. (laughs) They're going to start talking bad about you. You just increased their vibhat. That's all you've done. Right? But the point is, right, and here, to be fair, because what Sayyidina some meant by the backbiter and his listener meant that the person who is backbiting and the person who is happily listening, the person who is lending his ear, right? And so that's why I said you have to get up and walk away. So the person should know that, okay, this is not a person who's interested in my gossip. As opposed to sometimes people, the first thing they say when we meet them, so what's the scoop? What's the latest? So they know that this is a person who is a very active listener. Avid listener is my fan. (laughs) They love to hear the gossip that I have to share. So that's what this means. That type of listener doesn't mean the person who just hears it. But still, even if you just hear it, you should show some way. And Sayyidina Rasulullah did also say in the very famous Hadith of Nahinul Mulkan that stop it with your hand. By the way, hand does not mean a violent force. Stop it by your hand means bill fail. Stop it by action. Take some corrective action, right? If you cannot take corrective action, then use some corrective speech. And if you can't do that, Sayyidina it clearly is acknowledging that there are some cases where that's not possible. Then the Prophet himself said that when you can't do the virtue, then at least feel dislike for it in your heart. right? That's so why again the person who is always he will insist to you that brother you must do Nahilamankara. He'll make he's actually doing for sunnah. is <laughs> deleting that third part of the hadith where Sayyidina Rasulullah himself acknowledged that there will be cases where you cannot stop it by action and you cannot censor it with speech, so you have to censor it mean find it blameworthy in your heart. So the sunnah has clearly made that level also. So you have to see, depending on the case Depending on the person, depending on the situation But at some level You have to be there If only that you Find it blameworthy in your heart Right? So this was a more detailed explanation Specifically about backbiting But the point here was again About the fasting of the Salihin And that what Imam al meant That listening to it is like saying it Was it because in the Hadith, the Prophet said that if you say these things, it breaks your fast? So what Imam Zarathah wants to suggest is that even if you listen to it, it's danger that you've broken your fast. Not the ordinary fast, but the fast of the Salihin. It will not be like the fast of the Salihin if you actively lend your ear to Riba, or you listen to other unlawful things. So it means to watch what we see, to watch what we say, and to watch what we hear. Then in the next one, do not. And here, it means everything else means all other organs. Alright, so don't use your eyes, your tongue, your ears, and number four, and any and all other organs, limbs and organs, to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway, so the bottom of 77, keeping all other limbs and organs away from sin. Keeping the hands and feet away from reprehensible deeds. Keeping the stomach away from questionable food. This is mushtabe means doubtful food at the time for breaking the fast. It is meaningless to fast to abstain from lawful food only than to break one's fast and eat something that is unlawful. Right? A man who fasts like this may be compared to one who builds a castle but demolishes a city. Imam al Jeep example. Right? <laughs> Imagine somebody who builds a home. And then he destroyed the whole city. So when he did the fast, he built the home. But then, let's say he ate from interest earnings, interest income. So that's unlawful earnings. So that means his, any food that is purchased and acquired through unlawful income, that food becomes unlawful. It may technically be halal in, in of itself. It may be halal, zabiha, meat. It may be bread. It may be oranges. Right? In of itself, halal. But because it was purchased and acquired through unlawful wealth, eating that food becomes unlawful for that person. That's very important, and in the month of Ramadan, we have to make sure that our income, our earning, our salary, the revenue from the company that we work. And let me explain this. If anybody wants to know, is my salary halal? So your salary being halal is based on two factors. I'll just give you the formula. You will be able to apply the formula yourself on your own individual situation, your own individual profession. It's a universal formula. Whether your salary is halal or not is based on two things. Number one is the revenue of the company, firm, establishment, business, shop, whatever, institution, university, hospital, which is paying your salary. Because your salary is necessarily drawn from the revenue of your employer if the source of revenue of your employer is halal and or if the vast majority of it is halal and even some ulama would say if at least the simple majority means 50.0001% is halal that means the revenue is viewed as halal and therefore your salary is halal that's the first check so and the second check Then I'll give you some examples to illustrate. Second principle of the formula is, okay, that was the revenue of my employer. Second, what I personally do, my actual job description, what I amalan do practically, the work that I do for that company is that halal. That also has to be halal. If these two things are halal, then your salary is halal. Now let me give you some examples to illustrate. So if there's a person... Who works for Telenor. Telenor, all of you know, we know because we have it in Pakistan also. So, Telenor. Now, what does Telenor is going to pay? Step one Telenor is paying your salary from its revenues, necessarily so. What is the source of Telenor's revenue? They sell mm, a cell phone talk time. And if it's permissible to sell that people may use their cell phones for evil, Telenor is not liable for that, and you're not liable for that if you work there. Right? In of itself, selling telephone services, cellular phone services, is just, that's a halal way of earning revenue. So your salary comes from that revenue, so you've passed the first check. However, second check is what do you yourself do for Telenor? So if you say, no, but I work in Telenor's finance department, and I'm in charge of fixed income deposits. Fixed income deposit means the interest bearing uh, investments of Telenor, which is probably a few percent, maybe 2-3 percent of their annual revenue. But that's what I do. <laughs> okay, but in your case then, your salary is not halal. Because you don't pass the second check. Because what you personally are doing, that's not okay, because you are involved in the interest side, which is a very minor percent of Telenor. But that's what you do, so it's not halal. Understand? Okay, there could have been another example. That, okay, what do you do at Telnor? And this person could say, okay, I'm on their tech side. And whenever there's any tower that goes down or there's some problem in the signal, so I'm the behind-the-scenes engineer and I make sure that all the signals are functioning. So, okay, the nature of your work is halal. The revenue from which your salary is drawn is halal. Your salary is halal. So two people, employees of the same company, one salary is halal, one is not halal. You understand from the examples. Another example. A person works at a bank. So, I'm assuming there must be something. Citibank, maybe you've heard of it, exists in Norway, right? Now, let's look at... Now, let me reverse it, so you understand. Let me just do it in the same order. So, the first thing is that, what? Well, your salary is drawn from the revenue of Citibank. So, what is the source of revenue of Citibank? The vast majority of Citibank revenue... Is from interest-based income that they charge on loans, consumer loan, but especially commercial loan, investment loan, and their investment banking. And that's not permissible. Right? So because the huqam of their revenue is not halal, and your salary is necessarily drawn from that revenue, your salary is not halal. Even if you pass the second check, because you have to pass both checks, only two checks, Allah Ta'ala's put. Second check, what does it mean a person says, no, but I'm in the IT department and I'm in their help desk, and whenever any one of their computers stops working, they call me up and I go up and I fix their computer. So get you right, that itself is permissible, to fix people's computers, to reinstall the software, to troubleshoot, right, to teach them how to use Microsoft Excel, whatever help desk people do, that you pass the second check, that your actual job function is halal, but you didn't pass the first check. Now, the reason why people find this so difficult in banking, right, is that banking is the most civilized sin. People do it wearing a three-piece suit and a tie, in a very nice office, with very good behavior. So it doesn't appear to us to be a sin. So, sometimes I have to use a bit of a crude example to make people understand. So imagine if there is... a It's a crude example, and I don't like using these examples, but I have to do it to make you people understand. You think that it's okay, I can work in the IT department of... Not you, but some people think, maybe one of you thinks, that it's okay to work in the IT department of Citibank because I'm just doing IT. And you're not even embarrassed, and people tell people, oh, I work, and then they give their card. Now, I just want you to replace Citibank with some pornographic industry. Would you feel comfortable or would you feel embarrassed saying this to a fellow Muslim? Or if you were trying to get married, would you feel comfortable or embarrassed saying this to the girl's father? That I work for this pornographic industry. But I don't take the pictures. I don't look at the pictures. I'm in the computer. I manage their subscription. And if anybody sends an email saying, oh, I didn't get the magazine this month, it's my job to make sure that they're there. So I'm in the computer side. You would die before you did that. (laughs) And you would never give out that card. (laughs) And you would never tell anyone in the world that you do this job for that company. Because you know that even though my job is computers, the company I'm doing it for (laughs) is engaged in sinful activity. There's no difference between the banking industry and the pornography industry. Sin is sin. Yes, one is viewed as civilized today. And one the world also views as uncivilized. But our definition of sin is not what society views as acceptable or unacceptable. Our definition of sin is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala views as acceptable and unacceptable. No matter how civilized and outwardly dignified form the world might give in. Sin In fact, Sayyidina al <laughs> even lumped these two sins together in one hadith when he mentioned the alamat al qiyamah, the signs of the Day of Judgment. So there are all types of different signs. There's one set of signs and those signs that will appear within the Ummah. And one thing the Prophet said, one idea that towards the end of time, zina and riba will become widespread in my Ummah. So who's linking these two things together? Not me, telling you banking and pornography industry is linking. Sayyidina Rasulullah link these two things together. Now believe me, if it's a sign of the Day of Judgment, it's not a good thing, but not a good thing. So, riba being widespread in this ummah is a sign of the end of time. allah that should be enough. Again, remember, yakin, if you believe in the Prophet as a prophet, you have to have yakin in his words. Even ras a you this should make you have yakin, because Sayyidina never predicted this 14 years ago. Sahaba probably would have been thinking, what are you talking about? How could that ever happen? <laughs> the Sahaba would never have understood how the is about them saying this. How would that ever happen? That these two things will be widespread in the Ummah. We are giving our lives and bother and vote to remove these things from the world. And you're telling us that in our very own Ummah, these things are going to be widespread. Sahaba must have been stunned. Right? They could never realize. Me and you can understand what the Baal Sahaba saying. So this was a bit of a clarification, explanation that I wanted to tell you. That unlawful earning. So that was one point in Mamazan's domain. And otherwise, unlawful food could also be if somebody was so foolish to actually eat food that's not halal. But hard to imagine anybody would be that foolish. Right? That they fast in Ramadan and then they break their fast with food that is halal. Right? Many Mamazan gave that example. So lawful food is injurious in quantity, not in quality. So fasting is to reduce the former. That is going to come at the next point, okay? About overeating. A person might well give up excessive use of medicine from fear of ill effects, but he would be a fool to switch to taking poison. The unlawful is a poison. Unlawful food, unlawful income, anything that is haram is a poison deadly to our deen. While what is halal, what is lawful is a medicine, Beneficial in small doses, but harmful in excess. Another beautiful example. That halal is halal. But like they say, you know, actually they, I think they may say it wrongly, they say in English, if, again it may be an American expression, but you can never have too much of a good thing. But actually we say yes, you can have too much of a good thing. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. It's called israf. So exactly, exactly what it says, Allah tells us in the Quran, Eat, drink, but don't be excessive. Eat from the lawful, drink from the lawful, but don't be excessive in that lawful. It means Allah Ta'ala has delineated a limit, had, and that line is israf. So there is too much of a good thing. right? And that's what exactly Muhammad ta'ala is mentioning over here. Now comes that hadith that we had mentioned to you. So the object of fasting is to induce moderation. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, How many of those who fast get nothing from it but hunger and thirst? This has been taken to mean those who break their fast on unlawful food. And this is another way Imam Zai commenting on this. Today. Some say it refers to those who it refers to those who abstain from lawful food but break their fast on human flesh through backbiting, which is unlawful. Others consider it an allusion to those who do not guard their organs from sin. That's an explanation I'm giving, right? That they don't stay away from sin, but they stay away from food and drink, so the only thing they get is hunger and thirst. What they don't get is that tacu. Alright. Avoid overeating. Well, one other clarification I wanted to make that in order to be re- removed from interest, you just have to be removed one degree. That's sufficient. This is another misconception that people have today. That no, the whole economy is interest-based, so you can never save yourself from it anyway. So therefore there is no harm working in city bank. No. Sharia requires you to save yourself one degree. You're right, within two, three, four degrees, there will be some connection. It doesn't matter. You are liable for the immediate connection that you make. I'll give you an example. If there's a person who sells fruit, right? So he has a fruit cart, he sells apples and oranges and bananas. And he knows that where he parks his fruit cart every day, right in front of him, the house is owned by the president of Citibank. And the president of Citibank comes out of his house and buys apples from him. He can sell him the apples. Hundred percent, hundred percent just. He can sell him here's twelve apples and give me whatever it is, ten krona. Cause there's no interest in that <laughs> transaction. He sold apples and he got money that is giant's. That person earned the money to buy the apples through an unlawful way. But that doesn't, it's not a transitive effect. It doesn't affect this transaction. It's 100% from Muslim. You have a store, you have no idea that the people who are walking into your store, whether their wealth is haram or halal, whatever type of store you have, there's no way you could check that. That would be impossible for you to check. The only thing you have to check is that, are you giving them a lawful good and service for the money they're giving you in the sale? Is your transaction with them a Whatever transaction they did prior to they met you, which enabled them to get the money, you're not liable for that. You're just liable for the transaction with them. Therefore, some people can try to argue that no noble Telenor itself began by taking an interest-bearing loan. Investment financing, and that's how they began their company. So it's all interest in the end. Maybe all interest in the end, but is it in the end? All that Islam looks at, is it interest on your end or not? The interface, like you say, there's a user interface. Your interface with your money has to be halal. There may be so many levels in the back end, when you go back, there may be problems, you're only liable for your interface. Alright? So, next point is avoid overeating. Next point for Ramadan and to have the fasting of the Salihin is to avoid overeating. Very simply, what Imam Azailah is going to mention here is that the whole purpose of the fast was to increase our taqwa, remember? And so, actually we mentioned these 10 features of Ramadan. The 11th feature of Ramadan technically is the fast that Allah Ta'ala has put a feature in Ramadan which enables us to get taqwa. What is that? This act of being hungry and thirsty. That actually helps us in getting taqwa. So because that being hungry and thirsty helps us in getting taqwa, then from Maghrib to Fajr, we don't want to destroy that hunger and thirst by overeating. So the simple practical rule I will give you is that in any 24-hour period in Ramadan, the amount of food and drink you eat should be less than the 24-hour period after Ramadan. Obviously, you're fasting. I'm talking about the amount you eat from Maghrib to Fajr. And you'll notice many people, it's not the same. And in Pakistani culture, though it's a common joke, that people gain weight in Ramadan. Yes, they literally gain weight in Ramadan. Why? Because the amount they eat from Maghrib to Fajr in Ramadan is more than they normally ate in a 24-hour period. That's when he wants, overeating. So don't do that, that's foolish. You spent all that hard work fasting, and then you destroyed it by overeating. Hmm? Don't you see the athlete when he's preparing for Olympics? Hmm? He exercises and trains all day. Does he go and eat fatty and greasy foods all night? No way. He knows I'd be so foolish to do that. I would destroy my entire day of training by having that heavy meal. He won't do it. Why? For what sake is he sacrificing that desire? For the sake of some physical sport. (laughs) We cannot control our desire for the sake of spiritual taqwa. (laughs) What's more valuable, physical sport or spiritual taqwa? So don't overeat at night. Ramadan is not the month of the samosa and pakora. This is the wrong month. (laughs) For this Eid I, I give you full ijazah to overeat on Eid Yes You can even overeat on Eid No problem Allah tell us put That's another secret Allah tell us put barakah on Eid <laughs> Eid is that day that no matter how much you eat The overeating won't affect you negatively Yes. <laughs> day, special day like that Go all out on Eid <laughs> Alhamdulillah Because you're the guest of Allah wa Taala. Yes On day of Eid Everything you eat and drink You are the guest of Allah SWT He is the host Outwardly, maybe your family, your friends, your neighbors who are the host Actually, Allah SWT is the host on Eid That's another story that's for Eid Eid is also actually a special feature of Ramadan Actually, we could have added that to the list The fact that after Ramadan comes Eid That itself is a feature of Ramadan That it ends in this celebration and joy and pleasure and happiness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Khair. So simple rule, then, is eat less. Even slightly less. Even if you say 5%, even that's fine. Start with whatever you're capable of. But in Ramadan, you should eat 5% less in Ramadan than you did before. All right now let's go back to the text. So page 7, 8, avoid overeating. Not to overindulge in lawful food at the time of breaking fast to the point of stuffing one's belly. Sound familiar? Hmm? There is no receptacle more odious to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than a belly stuffed full with lawful food. Of what use is the fast as a means of conquering Allah Taala's enemy and abating apameen shaitan and abating your nafs if at the time of breaking the fast... One not only makes up for all one has missed during the daytime, but perhaps also indulges in a variety of extra foods. So this makes it clear it's not just Pakistani culture, because Imam Ali is writing (laughs) 900 years ago. Hmm? It has even become the custom to stock up for Ramadan with all kinds of foodstuffs, so that more is consumed during that time than in the course of several other months put together. It is well known that the object of fasting is to experience hunger and to check desire in order to reinforce the nafs in taqwa. If the stomach is starved from early morning till evening, so that its appetite is aroused and its craving intensified, and it is then offered delicacies and allowed to eat its fill, its taste for pleasure is increased, and the force of the nafs is exaggerated, amplified, passions are activated, which would have lain dormant under normal conditions. Yes, we actually have had people come and tell us this. That in Ramadan at night, they did some type of sin. And they are amazed even at themselves that what happened to me? It was Ramadan and I did fast. answer was simply this, they overate. And then it aroused a desire and passion in them which they didn't even have to face under normal conditions so they give it to him allah akbar hmm. so the spirit and secret nature of fasting but secret nature means this the real inner blessing the kernel the kernel the crux of fasting is to weaken the forces which are shaitan's means of leading us back to evil that is nafs it is therefore essential to cut down one's intake to at least what one would consume on a normal night not when fasting. This is what you would normally eat at night if you would add breakfast and lunch that day. That's how much you should eat in the night of Ramadan. That's what he means. Right? No benefit is derived from the fast if one consumes as much as one would usually take during the day and night combined. What does that mean? That after Maghrib you have brunch and after taraweeh you have dinner and in Sahur again you have brunch Moreover, one of the properties, can, proprieties means that one of the adab, the adab of fasting consists in taking little sleep during the daytime so that one feels the hunger and thirst and becomes conscious of the weakening of one's powers with the consequent purification of the heart. What does it mean? Those people who eat a lot at night, you'll find they sleep a lot during the day. There's so many people tell me that, oh, I don't know what to do in Ramadan, I'm so sleepy in the day. I sleep till Lohar and if It's a young man who's free he can just he can just change his timetable it's very simple he just makes the PM into AM and the AM into PM so what does he do he'll sleep from 5 AM to 3 PM and then he gets up and there's hardly a fast for him from 3 PM to Maghra hmm? and then he eats all night and then he sleeps all day and so just I'm telling you a very large number of people do this so isn't this is negating the whole purpose of fasting they don't feel the hunger. In other words, they eat so much at night and sleep so much at day. They do both. They eat so much at night and sleep so much at day so they don't actually feel the hunger that Allah Ta'ala wanted them to feel. La'allakum tat Tatakun so they would get that taqwa. It's almost like what the Bani Israel used to do. Allah Ta'ala said, don't fish on Saturday. So they cast the nets on Friday, right? And then they roped in the fish on Sunday. They basically ended up taking a loophole. So this is actually like a loophole. So okay, Allah Tala, you want me to feel hunger and thirst so I get taqwa. Hmm. No, what I'll do is I'll eat triple at night and sleep double during the day, and I won't feel the hunger and thirst. Hmm. Allah Tala wanted you to feel the hunger and thirst so you got taqwa.
1: Now you understand what your mom's
0: saying. Hmm? So one should let a certain degree of weakness carry over into the night, Making it easier to perform the night prayers. Yes, this happens. Some people, they eat so much after Maghrib. He's talking about the Hajj, but I'll give you even though They can't stand in Taraweeh. They get drowsy in Taraweeh. They can't concentrate on Qur'an in Taraweeh. Even though it's the month of Qur'an, Allah has made the Qur'an easier to understand. It's the closest they could have come to Qur'an. And they've let themselves fall short because they ate so much from Maghrib to Isha. Even sometimes people literally even say the sentence in Urdu. <laughs> Literally, they were saying that, oh, today we really ate a lot. I don't think we can go for taravi tonight. They say it. And they do it. They don't go. Because they ate so much. And they're right. They ate so much, they're not capable of standing that long. How foolish. <laughs> foolish, right? Could you ever see a student who eats so much the night before the exam that he is bloated and he comes to the exam, he'll say, no way. I have to be sharp. I have to be alert. I have to be fresh. I won't overeat. I'll just take a small sandwich and a cup of coffee and I'm going in for the exam. (laughs) That's the way you should be in Ramadan. I'm going for Taraweeh. I can't overeat all. I can't eat all this stuff. I fasted the whole day so I would be fresh and alert for this worship at night. I can't be having these greasy, oily, fatty foods right now. If the Olympic athlete can do it, the student in Zamswee can do it. Hmm? The politicians, for the sake of elections, if you see them in elections, they just eat on the run. They don't have no time. They don't have time to eat. I have to give this speech, this campaign rally. I'm up 18 hours. They just eat on the run. Why? Because they want to contest elections. (laughs) So people of the dunya, for these worldly purposes, can manage their diet. And Allah tells put so much barakat in Ramadan, For our spiritual purposes, we can't manage our diet in this month. So it's easier to perform the Tahajj prayer to recite awrad, means different dhikr, du'as, dawah, stikfar, drudshrif, tasbihad, maraqaba, etc. It may then be that shaitan will not hover around one's heart and that one will behold the kingdom of heaven. The night of Layl al-Tukadr represents the night on which something of this kingdom is revealed. What does he mean here? Okay, it may then be that shaitan well, shaitan won't be there, right? Shaitan won't hover around one's heart because shaitan are locked up. But, right, that on together, and remember, we mentioned this to you, right? All the angels come down. So actually, when you go into Jannah, when inshallah, we all go into Jannah, inshallah out of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels will also be there, right? So the presence of the angels is actually a quote-unquote heavenly type thing. Heavenly experience. So when they all come down to earth on that night, it's a little bit, and not in every sense, earth remains earth, right? But in this one sense it becomes like heaven on earth. Because the heavenly celestial beings, right? Who normally do tawaf around the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they've all come down on this little together. So then, this is what, then, uh, Imam Azshah says in Qadr. Then Indeed, we sent down this Qur'an on Laylatul Qadr. Anyone who puts a bag of food between his heart and his breast becomes blind to this revelation. means they don't feel. They're too bloated. If a person says, I'm too bloated to even pray Tarawih, then he's going to be way too bloated to experience Laylatul Qadr and feel those Anwarat and Barakat coming on that night. Nor is keeping the stomach empty sufficient to remove the veil, unless one also empties the mind of everything but Allah That is the entire matter, and the starting point of it all is cutting down on food. And that's what Allah SWT did in Quran. This is what He told us. That what's the starting point of this? Before la'allakum tattakun, that was then, what was the beginning? Qutiba Starting point is you cut down on the food. Now, what does this mean? And this is what we call, there's a relationship between the zahir and the batin in our deen. The outward aspect of fasting, staying away from food and drink. The batin aspect of fasting, getting taqwa. So the better you are at the zahir part, the better you will get the batin part. And that's simple. And the worse you are at the zahir part, the worse you will be at getting at the batin part. That's why Mama Zahra was is saying, we should not mm, overeat. So, ideally, this is also a good month to implement the sunnas of eating. So I will very briefly tell you what the sunnas are. And again, it may be very baby stuff and all of you would have known it. But we don't do amal on it. First sunnah. Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us that we should stop eating when we still feel slightly hungry. Don't eat till you're complete full. Don't wait till you're completely satiated and then stop. Stop eating when you feel slightly hungry still. So for example, you know, like the gas tank, right? So one thing is to say fill it up. Don't fill it up. (laughs) Right? Put it three quarters, 80% full and leave it like that. Right? Second sunnah of eating. And some of you may have even heard this today, the Sayyidina Hussam that leaves three spaces in your stomach. One space for food, and one space for water, and one space for air. So if you were to follow that strictly, that would be one third. I still was nice, I gave you 75-80%. Hmm? Next one of eating is Seynos system actually taught that a person should chew a lot when they eat. And obviously modern science will tell you that either you do the chewing here, or your stomach will have to do the digesting here. The more chewing you do here, the less digesting your stomach has to do. The less digesting your stomach has to do, the less blood your stomach draws. The less blood your stomach draws, the more blood remains in your mind, and the less tired you feel. So one reason sometimes we feel tired after we eat isn't just the amount, it's because we didn't chew properly. So the stomach has to do more work to digest it. Actually, we actually ate a reasonable amount. But because we didn't chew properly, the stomach has to do more work to digest it, so the blood flows from the brain into the stomach muscles, and that makes us feel tired. So if we do amaland on this sunnah, we should chew a lot. That's why even traditionally parents would always teach us to their children, that you should always chew your food. Alright? Chew it so much, that then it just naturally swallows. As opposed to quickly swallowing it, because you're preparing the next Flight of biryani and raitan salad perfectly mixed together and it's already coming for arrival in your runway. And you have to clear the runway. Hmm? That's what you do. So you're just clearing the runway quickly because there's, mashallah, more traffic than London and hidro. You're just bringing one after the other. Hmm? Allah Akbar. So that brings me to another sunnah. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that don't lift up the next morsel to your mouth until what is in your mouth has already been swallowed. These are very practical sunnas of eating. If we do amal on this, you will find that you will eat end up eating less while still feeling full. Yes, this is the way you will this is the real diet, Sunnah diet. How to reduce your caloric intake without even realizing it. Just follow these sunnas. You will automatically reduce the calories you take. That's the real simple diet. You can try to switch to carbs, low carbs with killing. Simply speaking, reduce your calories, right? So here, these were a few sunnas about eating less. Benefit of eating less. There are certain benefits of eating less. Number one is when you eat less, you will sleep less. 100% absolute guaranteed. It's a directly proportional relationship. If you eat less, you will sleep less. That gives you another benefit because when you sleep less, you get more time you get more barakah in your time, and you get more time. You get more time, then you can use that extra time to do more dhikr, more ibadah, more work of deen, more ilm of deen. You will get more time. Both eating less will take less time, and then the sleeping less also gives, takes less time. And then, third benefit, when you eat less, you actually will feel more strong. Because like I told you, when you're overeat, you're bloated. When you eat less in this sense, you'll feel more alert, more strong. So then you'll be more productive and efficient in your time. You'll see when you overeat, you can't really do any real work. You're a bit numbed, right? But when you eat the right amount, you're completely alert. You're fresh. So then you will be able to focus on your ibadah more, focus on your zikr more, feel Allah Ta'ala more in your ibadah. Fourth benefit is that when you eat less, you spend less on yourself. And therefore, you can spend more on others, more sadaqah. When you eat less, your grocery bill will go down even a little bit. You can give more sadaqah. Your eating less may enable others to eat more who are below the poverty line. Alright? And this is a very important aspect of Ramadan also, was to feel compassion for the poor. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah himself also used to greatly increase the amount of sadaqah and charity he used to give in this month. And the notion was that we would increase that journey because we felt, we tasted just a glimpse, but still we felt it, the hunger of the poor. But if you do this overeating and sleeping in the day, you will never even get a glimpse of what type of the hunger the poor is. You know, I'll give you my own example once. Once I was traveling and I was very busy. And because of that I didn't have dinner one night And the next I didn't have breakfast The next I didn't have lunch And so by the time it was night for dinner the night, she was hungry I'm a thin guy So it's just It's nothing special It's just Allah made me this way I don't normally get hungry But that day I got hungry (laughs) Right? And amazingly that day I had almost no food So just because I hadn't gone to the grocery store And it was very late when I came back And the stores were closed where I was staying And I had like one slice of bread and I don't know what like something like jam or something like that in the fridge and I ate it and I remember eating it and be like wow I'm still hungry right and then I remember thinking that you know how many people in this world eat and after they eat they have this feeling that I'm still hungry how many children are like that in the world that they do get a little something to eat but after they eat they still feel hungry and me maybe for the first time in my life I had this feeling that I actually ate and after eating I still felt hungry so Allah Ta'ala blessed us so much that so we never get this feeling <laughs> Because if ever after we eat one thing We still feel hungry We eat the second thing <laughs> Instantly There's no problem for us hmm? But there's so many people in this world Who either don't get to eat Or there are a lot who do eat But every single time they eat They're still hungry They're surviving They eat enough to survive They eat enough to function But they're still hungry this new was a new feeling for me, and I never forget that night. <laughs> Ajib, so it's just natural. It wasn't me. It happens to it'll happen to any one of us. Allah, Allah wants to happen this month. He wants us to feel these different types of hunger so we get the compassion for the poor. That's why and we really pair zakat properly to the poor as opposed to giving it in all types of healai zakat. No. Zakat should go to the poor. Zakat is the haq of the poor that's an amanat with you. It's not going to any institution, not even mustard, not even mother I mean, unless the students of the mothers are poor, that's different. You can give it to the mothers of students like that. But it doesn't go to an institution, it goes to the poor people. It goes to people. It's transfer of income from people above the poverty line to people below the poverty line. That's the philosophy of Zakat. And it's a beautiful philosophy, right? Very simple. Very simple. So these were some of the benefits of eating less Right? And also, we've mentioned some harms of eating more. The real benefit of eating less is taqua. Why? What's the connection? Now I want to explain to you. Whenever you eat more than your body needs, and even today nutritionists and doctors will tell you your body needs, I think, I can't remember, maybe 2000, 2500 calories a day. Whatever extra calories you eat, you're not feeding your body. You're feeding your nafs. You feed your nafs. Can you imagine that person who's so foolish that he hand-feeds his nafs himself <laughs> and then he complains that my nafs overpowers me and makes me do sin. I said the same thing in order that I said in English. Hmm? So this is why? When you stop eating more and you eat less, then you get that taqwa. That's the real part for Ramadan. Because what happens in Ramadan is you stop feeding your nafs. When you stop feeding your nafs, then taqwa becomes more in reach. And that's from eating less. That's from not overeating. That's from every now and then getting a glimpse and taste of hunger. That's how they tame that wild animal. How do they tame the wild animal? They reduce its food. That's all they have to do. All of animal psychology, that's all it is. We just reduce its food. Then the beast part of the animal will go down. It will still be animal, still be alive, still can run. In fact, we want to tame it so it can run. Wild horse, for example. But the beast part of it will be tamed simply. We reduce its food. The nafs is the animal side of us. So the beast part of the nafs will be tamed simply by reducing its food. This is the link between fasting and la'allukum ta taqwa. This is why we get more taqwa in this month of Ramadan. Okay, getting back to the text. Now, page number... Seventy-nine, and this is the sixth and final point that Imam Al Azhar mentions here about how to get the fast of the Salihin. For those of you who may have joined a bit late, Imam Al Azhar is mentioning that there's three levels of fasting. One of the ordinary believers, Mu'minin, and that's just that they abstain from food, drink, and lawful relations. Second is the fasting of the Salihin, that they abstain from food, drink, lawful relations, and they protect their limbs and organs from alls, and he gave six steps here, which is what we meant by the inner dimensions of fasting. Six steps so that we get that button fast, and we get the fast of the saliheen. So the sixth thing is to look to Allah's fa'at with fear and hope. And that's what they say, "Imanu khofi bul raja." That real iman lies in between, means in the merging of fear and hope. Fear of displeasing Allah, Ta'ala, hope in his mercy. Fear of being rejected by Allah, Ta'ala, hope that he will accept us. Hmm? Fear and hope. Both of these feelings have to be there. So Imam Zarantan writes and after the fast has been broken, the heart should swing like a pendulum between fear and hope. Why? For one does not know if one's fast has been accepted. So that and whether one will find favour with Allah Ta'ala, or whether the fast has been rejected. And that means that they will be amongst the people that Allah Ta'ala abhors that dislikes. This is how one should, in fact, be at the end of any act of ibadah, that I'm hopeful that Allah Ta'ala will accept it, but I'm also scared What if it, Allah Ta'ala says, it, unworthy of being accepted. It is related that Shaykh Hassan al-Basri, Allah Ta'ala, that he once passed by a group of people who were laughing happily. He said, Allah Subh'ala has made the month of Ramadan a racecourse. Hmm? This is why was telling them in Denmark, oh, in Ramadan could uh, kill Become the athlete of Ramadan. Become the athlete of Ramadan. Has made the month of Ramadan a race course on which his creatures compete in his worship. Some have come in first and won, while others have lagged behind and lost. It is absolutely amazing to find anybody laughing and playing about on the day when success attends the victors and failure the losers. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the his khasirun, so we can call it losers in English. By Allah, if the veil were lifted off, means if a person could see this reality, the doer of good would surely be preoccupied with his good works and the evil doer with his evil deeds. What does it mean that if people could really see, right, what happened to them. So the person who does good amal, he would hasten towards good amal. And the person who does evil, he would be preoccupied, he would be worried and terrified over the evil of his deeds. In other words, the man whose fast has been accepted, will be preoccupied with this hope, will be too full of joy to indulge in idle sport and talk. And the one whose fast was rejected, there would be in so much remorse that they also could not engage in idle laughter and talk. Al-Ahnaf ibn Kayserim, Allah Ta'ala said, oh, it was reported that he said that when he was once told that, you're an aged elder, you're an old man, fasting would make you weak. So he replied, by this I am making ready for a long journey. Actually the fasting is going to make me strong for my long journey to Allah SWT. Obedience to Allah SWT is easier to endure. I mean, if it's difficult for me to obey Allah I'd rather endure this difficulty of fasting in my old age, rather than His punishment. That maybe my old age was not a genuine excuse And fasting is fard on me And if I leave that fast Which is fard Then I don't have an excuse to leave it Then Allah Taala will punish me So they weren't so quick to excuse themselves Right Today people mashallah, They hear this is true fatwa That if a person is genuinely sick Then it's permissible for them not to fast And they'll have to make up That fast at a later day. So, but people very quickly give themselves sick leave. They approve their own sick leave. They just have a slight forecast that maybe I'll get a headache. (laughs) or I'm too sick to fast today. (laughs) They let oneself off the hook too quickly. should be more careful that what if, actually, no, I'm not at that level of sickness, which is a legitimate excuse for not fasting. And then if I'm not at that level and I don't fast that not fasting would be a means of getting Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala upset with me. So I shouldn't take that chance. Better that I try, right, and fast. But again, don't take this to another extreme, that somebody tries to have more taqwa than they need to, that if you genuinely are sick, then you shouldn't fast. Or if a muttaki, muttaki Muslim doctor has told you that your medical condition, muttaki Muslim, two conditions, muttaqi Muslim, muttaki Muslim doctor, tells you that you have a medical condition, and it happens, and some people have such conditions, that your medical condition precludes you from fasting, then you should not fast. Actually the teaching of deen in such a situation is it's better for you not to fast. Because this is what Allah Ta'ala wills. That when you have genuine, certified excuse, then you should be humble and out of humility. And take that excuse. Right? So then Imam Zahra concluded this part that such are the inwardly significant meanings of fasting. Now he says, an importance of observing these inward aspects. Now you may say, quote, Suppose someone confines him or herself to curbing his or her appetite for food and drink and lawful relations, to the neglect of these inward aspects. They don't do these six things that you mentioned above. So according to the fuqaha, according to the jurists, his fast is valid. They'll tell us, they'll give fatwa, that yes, you didn't eat and drink and do law right from Fadr to Maghrib, your fast is valid. Sehat it's valid, correct. So what are we to make of this? So Imam Al-Ghazayat responds, that you must realize that those versed in the external requirements of the law, and keep in mind, you're by the way, that Imam Al-Ghazayat was a shafi fiqh of the highest caliber, right? But the result that he's some stranger, to He's a jurist himself, right? He's a jurist himself. You must realize that those verbs in the external requirements of the law based their formal stipulations, means faru and fatawa, on evidence less cogent than the proofs we have advanced in support of these internal prerequisites, especially those relating to backbiting and the like. Because you remember he had quite a few hadith on this issue of backbiting. However, scholars of external legality are concerned only with such obligations as fall within the capacity of the ordinary heedless people who are wholly caught up in the affairs of this world. means that they are only writing about the first degree of fasting, which was the ordinary fasting. All of law is just going to talk about that. This is spirituality. It's talking about a level higher than the law. doesn't mean outside the law. Higher doesn't mean outside. It's within sharia. But it's now a concern that is outside the realm of fiqh and sharia. It's not talking about legality. It's talking about the ethics of fasting, the spiritual aspects of fasting, the higher etiquettes and adab of fasting. So as for those learned in knowledge of the Akhira, the meaning they attach to siha, to validity, is acceptance, is kubudiyya. You see, one thing is, is an act legally valid? Yes. One thing, okay, but was that act accepted by Allah Ta'ala? What does accepted mean? Did I get that? لَأَلَّكُمْ تَتَّكُونَ so obviously oh, you would also know if a person still lies, still sins, how can they get from that fast? Even though the fast is legally valid. They won't get they're not going to get the of the fast. That's all Imam was to say. So going to their understanding, the goal of fasting is the acquisition of one of the qualities of Allah SWT, namely steadfastness. What does this mean? So Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith, تَخَلَّقُ bi that you must adorn yourself with the attributes of Allah SWT. Now this doesn't mean all the attributes. There are certain attributes that no human can or should ever try to acquire. Such as Allah Ta'ala is Al-Mutakabbir. Allah Ta'ala is al akbar No human being can get that. But Allah Ta'ala is Al-Kareem. And our Deen teaches us that we also are supposed to be Kareem with one another. Allah Ta'ala is al Rahim and Sayasara for many hadith. That show, be raheem to others, so that Allah Ta'ala will be raheem to you. We're supposed to be merciful to others, right? So there's certain attributes of Allah Subh'ala Taala that obviously not in any way we can acquire them in the way that Allah Ta'ala has them, but the same attributes should be in us at the human level. Such as being raheem, such as being kareem, such as being forgiving of others' faults, right? Overlooking a just like we want Allah Ta'ala to forgive us. We should be forgiving of others. You understand? So this one attribute is uh, Samadhiya. What does that mean, right? So this is hmm, How can I explain this? This is a bit difficult thing to explain uh, You can understand it like this In in a certain sense No human being can ever be like Aladdin, Anyway, right? No matter the most merciful human being his mercy is nothing compared to even one drop of Allah's mercy. But there is some resemblance, right? Even if distant. But mercy, then and there is mercy, right? So here what it means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond any physical aspect. It means Allah Ta'ala does not eat, Allah Ta'ala does not drink, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have any such urges, or needs, relations, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have any of these things. He's purely a, a pure non-physical, purely spiritual being, to put it in simple senses. Now a human being can never be like that. We are a physical and spiritual mix. We can never change that about ourselves. However, in the process of the fasting, what Imam Zala is saying is that Allah ta'ala wants us to numb, downplay our physical aspect. Because that will enable our spiritual aspect to come out. Alakum taqwa. And we're so busy in physical, right? That sometimes our spiritual remains dormant. So hence, this is another way of making the rabt between staying away from physical eating and drinking and relations and how does that enable you to get spiritual taqwa? Because when you dampen the physical, you... Unlock and unleash the spiritual And ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Has no physicality What does it mean He doesn't have any body He doesn't have any shape Right He doesn't have any bodily needs He doesn't have any of those things Right Okay As well as following the example Of the angels By abstaining as far as possible From the desires of the flesh Now the angels are physical They have bodies Right They have a form They have a shape so they're like us in that sense. And both of us are not like Allah Ta'ala in that sense. Allah Ta'ala doesn't have any form and shape and body and flesh, right? But the angels are different than us in this sense that the angels don't have a nafs. Angels have ruh, they don't have nafs. You understand? They have a ruh, they have a body. Their body is made of nur, but it is a body, it's a form. It's a surah, it's a jisan, right? But it's made of noor. But they don't have enoughs. Okay? So they are immune to such passions of the nafs. We don't have enoughs. So they're completely free of that. So we are trying, and that's one of the reasons they have this kurub to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Ta'ala is trying in the month of Ramadan for us to diminish our physical self, to diminish our nafs. So we unlock because we also have a ruh, like the angels do. So we unlock the ruh side of us, the spiritual side of us. That's what Imam Zai is trying to explain here. And it's a bit confusing in the English. The human status is superior to that of animals. Yes, insan is superior to the animal world. Since humans are able, by the light of reason, to tame their lust. In other words, that animals also have enough. So that sense, humans and animals are similar, we both have enough. The difference is that humans have the ability to do mujahadat nafs right? When the nafsa anul hawa the human can train themselves, discipline themselves to stop their nafs. The animal doesn't have that ability. When the animal's nafs gets excited, it can't. There's no. It cannot. There's no self-control. Animals have no self-control. That's why normally, even in English, also when somebody does cannot show self-control in their behavior. We tell them, you're acting like an animal. We actually say that to them, right? Because they don't have any self-control, right? So animals are similar to humans. They, we both have nafs, but different in the sense that they have no possibility of self-control. We have a possibility of self-control. If we use that possibility of self-control, then even though despite having enough, we become more closer to the angels. And if we don't use our possibility of having self-control, then Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, Ulai ka kal an'am balhum adal. Then that person, human, who cannot exercise self-control on his nafs, they're like cattle, they're like animals. they're even worse. Why? Because if you're not able to do self-control and you don't do it, is that worse for the person who is able to do it and doesn't do it? Obviously that one is worse. The one that was able to do it and didn't do it. So that's why they're worse than animals. So, gee, the way Imam's eyes look at it. I mean we never think about these things. We never even think about angels. Maybe today we're talking about angels, and some of us have not even thought about angels for maybe years. Maybe years have gone by. <laughs> but these people were deeply steeped in Qur'an and Hadith, so the angels are mentioned so many places of Qur'an did. So it was part of their worldview. It was part of their horizon. They understood these things, right? Mm. Okay. So, in in essence, on the top of page, what page number is this? Eighty-one. The Zai sums it up to. The humans are superior to animals yet inferior to angels in that the human is subject to carnality, means to base desires and put to the test in combat with their nafs and the temptations of their nafs. Whenever a person falls prey to their unlawful, lustful desire, then they sink to the lowest of the low and they join like that they join the animal herd, they become animalistic. But whenever they curb their desire, then they rise to the highest of the high and they become more angelic. And that's why you, all of you know in our deen, that our deen teaches us that human beings have the potential to be even better than angels. Ashuf al And human beings have the potential to be worse than animals. So this is what Moses is opening up to us. A detailed explanation of this reality. Right? So the angels are near... The presence of Allah ta'ala. I told you this before, the malaika, Rabun, that they're close to Allah ta'ala. That's why they get to do tawaf around the arsh, right? They get that qurb, they get this maqam of qurb with Allah ta'ala. So those who follow their example and model themselves on their character will likewise draw near to Allah ta'ala. What was their example? They don't even have enoughs. How can a human being model themselves after that? that the human doesn't have a nafs that disobeys Allah. That's called Nafs al-Mutma'inna. It's in Qur'an, there's Nafs al amara Nafs al-Lubama, Nafs al-Mutma'inna. So that human being that makes his nafs into Nafs al-Mutma'inna means he's modeled himself after the angels. Because Nafs al-Mutma'inna means no Nafs al-Ambara. And that's the same thing the angels are, they are no nafs. Okay? So, so to resemble one who is near is to be near. Means if this person now is nafsul mutmainna, he resembles the angels. The angels are mukarrab, so the person who has nafsul become becomes mukarrab. And all of us know that's in Quran. What happens to the person who has nafsul mutmainna? He's so close to Allah Taala that what does Allah Taala say? Allah Taala himself calls him, Ya ayatuhan nafsul mutmainna, come back, return, Inji ila Rabbi Allah Taala is yearning for that person. <laughs> Allah Taala is calling that person to Him. That's like how Allah Taala calls the angels to Him. Allah Taala summons angels to Him. They go to Earth. They listen to whatever message, whatever command, whatever task Allah Taala gives them. Hmm? It's the angels who receive this nida from Allah Taala. But this insan, God Himself, nafsul mutmainna. Now he is receiving this nida. Nida means call from Allah Taala. Ya ayuthan nafsul mutmainna. just come back. <laughs> You're done now. <laughs> You're done. You've succeeded. You've got the A+. plus <laughs> Just come back. <laughs> In what state should you come back? <laughs> that you are pleased with your rub and your rub is pleased with you. That's also what the angels are. Huh? They're happy with the Allah's Allah happy with them. That. <laughs> That's what an angel is. <laughs> right? Whatever Allah says, they're happy. Allah says, you said the we're happy to do it. <laughs> Those are the angels. <laughs> Whatever Allah says, they're happy. If this is the secret of fasting amongst men of profound spiritual understanding, then what benefit is to be derived from simply postponing a meal and only to combine two meals after sunset hmm? while indulging in all other passions the whole day long? means fasting isn't just rearranging your eating. (laughs) Hmm? What benefit is in just rearranging your eating and drinking? If there were any good in such conduct, then why would the Prophet have, what could he have meant, Sayyidina Rasulullah when he said, how many of those, he repeats that how many of those who fast get nothing from it, except for hunger and thirst? That's why Sayyidina Abu Dardar said, how fine is the sleep of the wise, and their non fasting. Don't they just put to shame the fasting and wakefulness of fools? A mere atom from those possessed of certainty and true piety is better and weightier than seeming mountains of worship by the misguided. I'll explain in a moment For the same reason One of the scholars said How many who fast Are not keeping a fast And how many who do not keep fast Are fasting Now here With say Abu Dharaz Is not talking about Ramadan He's just talking generally About nafil fast Sunnah fast The act of fasting He's taking it outside The discussion of Ramadan So there's one person Maybe he says Okay I make nafil fast today But he doesn't actually Stay away from sin And there's another person Okay he's not doing Any nafal fast But he's staying away from sin so how much more excellent is that person who is doing the real fast, which is they abstain from sin, as opposed to that person who is just merely doing the outward fast. They abstain from food and drink in relations, but they still indulge in sin. So one person abstaining from sin and indulging in lawful food and drink. Other person abstaining from lawful food and drink, but indulging in sin. <laughs> That's what he's trying to say. right? The fasting non-faster, is he who keeps his limb, means the person who is not fasting, means they abstain from sin. Non-faster, they're still eating and drinking. I'm talking about Ramadan. The fasting non-faster is he who keeps his limbs and organs pure of sin while still eating and drinking. And the non-fasting faster is he who goes hungry and thirsty in the name of the fast, but he's not really fasting while giving full license, permission to do sin to all of his limbs and organs. <coughs> that is why even... Sometimes Imam Allah explains it this way that the people who are the Salihin, their whole life is spent fasting. Not in the first sense. Not in the awam sense, food and drink. In this sense. The whole life they're fasting. Meaning they keep their limbs and organs away from sin. Then one person explained it like this. That the whole world, your whole life on this world is just a single fast. And if you spend your worldly life Staying away from sin Then you will make iftar By seeing Allah Ta'ala in the day of judgment That would be your iftar Now I'll explain the same thing That Ki whole life Is a day of a day If you are a child to keeps a day Who keeps a day a iftar Allah Ta'ala What day of Hmm? hmm? that's a beautiful concept of life that all of life is just a fest <laughs> and allah taala seeing allah taala and being in jannah is an eternal iftar <laughs> eternal eid <laughs> eternity of eid for one moment of a lifetime of a fest Hm? <laughs> those who understand the significance of fasting and its secret meaning, secret meaning means, again, its kernel, its essence, its reality, its core, its real truth, the hakika, are aware that he who abstains from food, drink, and lawful relations while breaking fast does that, abstains from those, but meanwhile does not fast from sin, and therefore breaks the fast of sinning by involving himself in sin, is like one who performs his ablution by wiping part of his body three times, and it complies to the external legal requirement, yet neglects what is really important, namely the actual washing. Because of the stupidity, his ritual prayer is rejected. By contrast, he who does not abstain from eating, yet does fast in the sense of keeping his organs free from all that is unworthy, is comparable to the one who washes the proper parts of his body, but even if it's only once each. Clear. that those of you who understand the Messiah and the Vizu understand what the Vudhu right? So a person who writes but is not using any water, he's doing all of it three times, but doesn't use water. And the person who uses water, but even just does it once, but actually he got the real wudu. He got the real wudu. But inshallah, such a person's ritual prayer, Salah, is acceptable, since he has paid due attention to the essentials, even if he has omitted the details. But he who combines the two... It be compared to one who not only washes each part of the body, but does so three times each, for he attends to essentials and details alike, and this constitutes perfection. So the best then is those people, Salihin, who fast from sin year-round, than in the month of Ramadan, when they combine that fast with this outward fast of staying away from food and drink, then they reach that level of perfection, which is, Allah تَتَّقُوا because taqwa is the perfection of deen. Allah ta'as in the Quran, "Inna akramakum إِنَّ اللَّهِ That know that those of you who are the most perfectly honored in Allah's SWT's eyes are the ones who have the most perfect taqwa. So the name of perfection in our deen is taqwa. <laughs> and so that means the month of Ramadan becomes a month of attaining perfection for them because they have the fasting of the Salaheen. Sayyidina Rasulullah once said, "The fast is an amana; it's a trust, so that each and every one of you keep this trust." And then Allah Taala, uh, then uh, Sayyidina Rasulullah recited the words of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala: "Indeed, Allah Taala bids you to restore unto andul amanati ila that you must restore the amanat to their proper owners, their due owners." Then the Prophet touched after the Prophet mentioned this verse. Recited this verse. He touched his ears and touched his eyes, saying, "Hearing is an amana, and sight is an amana." Right? It means Allah Ta'ala gave us this hearing. This is the first talk we give you in homeland, right? On the amanat, hmm? and on everything is a trust. And these eyes weren't given to us just like that, so we can use them to look at everything we want. No, the eyes were given to us as an amana. And if a person fulfills that trust And Allah will return these eyes to us on the Day of Judgment And say now take these eyes and look at Sayyidina Rasulallah Take these eyes and now look at Sayyidina Muhammad al-Siddiq. Take these eyes for the women the Women can do the first two also Plus the women get extra Take these eyes and look at Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidina Aisha Take these eyes and look at Sayyidina Fatima R.A Hmm? That's why you were given eyes. You were given sight for, to see those beauties. You weren't given sight to see these beauties of the world. <laughs> so the person realizes that, that my eyes are an amana. They're given to me as a trust for that beauty. To see the beauty of Allah ta'ala. And then if they live their life keeping the trust of their eyes, Allah ta'ala will return their eyes to them. Your ears are an amana. What does it mean? That you weren't giving ears to listen to music, and to listen to lying, and to listen to backbiting. That's not why we were given hearing So if a person realizes that And stays away from these things Then on the day of judgment Allah Ta'ala will give a person's hearing back And will say okay Now you listen to the word of Sayyidina Rasulullah His sound, his voice You listen to the adhan of Bilal Then Allah Ta'ala will say You listen to me Allah Ta'ala recite Surah Rahman Yes <laughs> Allah Ta'ala will recite Surah Rahman For the believers That's why we have ears <laughs> So a person says, no, no, I'm saving my ears. says, why did you listen to music? Simple answer. I'm saving my ears to listen to Surah Rahman from Allah Taala That's why I was given ears. <laughs> I know that my وسلم my taught me that. That's why I was given ears. So How can I use these ears for this? <laughs> right? Don't you see you have a nice little cloth that they give you to clean your glasses? Will you use it to clean the toilet? You'll say, no, <laughs> this cloth is not given to me to clean the toilet. It's given to me to clean the glasses. Right? So that's what the mu'min feels: That these ears weren't given to me to listen to these things. <laughs> these ears were given to me. in this world to listen to Qur'an, and Adhan, and Deen, and Haq, and the Siyah. And they were given to me so that in the Akhirah I would get them back. And I would listen to Kalamullah from Allah Taala Himself. That's why I have these ears. So this is what Imam Zahra is saying. So... If speech were not likewise a trust of the fast, the Prophet would not have said, say, I'm fasting. Right? It means that if somebody wants to engage you in argument, you're supposed to say, On sign, I'm fasting. In other words, my tongue is an amana, has been entrusted to my care. How can I release that tongue to answer your insults, to engage in argument with you? So then Imam Zai ends this by saying, it is there, it therefore becomes apparent, it therefore becomes apparent that every act of worship has both an outer aspect and an inner aspect. The zahir of fasting, staying away from food-drink relations, and the bathan of fasting, which has been explained in detail. A husk and a kernel, that's another way just to say that husk is the outer aspect, kernel is the inner aspect. So that's what we want then, that in this year, in month of Ramadan, which is coming very, very soon now, Literally around the corner. Hmm? At this year we want to try. Maybe we get it this year, but at least we try for it. We want to get the fast of Salahin. We want this button. We have spent so many years outward fasting. We don't need anybody to help you with that anymore, right? We know all the rules. Or we can ask any mufti some particular question if we haven't. But what we need is to get this inner aspect of fasting, to get this fasting of Salahin. We've done Kutiba al Now in this year we want to do La'allakum Tantakum. Now we want the Taqwa that Allah Ta'ala is hopeful of. So we only have hope because Allah Ta'ala is hopeful. La'allakum <laughs> hmm? Tantakum means Allah Ta'ala is hopeful that we would get Taqwa in this month of Ramadan. So now we just want to conclude with a few comments and then inshallah we'll make some dua. And then we'll conclude today's course So when people ask this question How can I prepare for the month of Ramadan? Hmm? Preparing for Ramadan So there are two answers to this question And the truth is that why do we even have to ask this question? Normally you prepare for something that's new. You prepare for something that you're doing the first time. The truth is mean you should be experts at Ramadan by now. Hmm? We have done it five times, ten times, twenty times, depending on your age. Hmm? But look at our state that every year in this time of Shaban we realize, with honesty and humility, how terribly unprepared we are for Ramadan. Hmm? even though we've done it already so many times. Hmm? It's a reflection on the sad state of our condition. Hmm? So, the fact that we continually need to prepare. So, the first need we should make today is, this: my preparation for Ramadan should be this, that next year I don't need this workshop. (laughs) I want to spend Ramadan this year, such that next year, I don't need to prepare for it when it comes, so that next year, I am ready for it. That's how I want to spend Ramadan this year. I want to live in this Ramadan, and be in this Ramadan, and experience this Ramadan, such that I never ever need to prepare for it again. Yes? Now, there are two ways we could prepare. One way is what we tried to do today, So we describe the beauty of Ramadan, we describe the essence of Ramadan, we explain, we give examples, we illustrate, that was the long answer. And then there's also a short answer. That Ramadan is actually like a big tidal wave from the ocean of Allah's mercy. And a simple way that a person can just do, if the guy no preparation, I'm just going to go and stand and let that wave come over me. Just click. One click. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to give up everything I was doing that was sin. I want to surrender myself and present myself to you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all the mercy and rahmah and fazl and karam that you want to send down in Ramadan. That's another way to prepare for this month of Ramadan. So we did the long one all day. In this last few minutes, we want to do the second one. That's our niyad, that's our dua, that we just want to, be. now after having listened to the description of the beauty of that wave, now we just have to take one step and present ourselves to be overwhelmed by that wave. One thing I wanted to mention again, is that I had taught, we had talked uh, about, <laughs> that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, شَهْرَ رَمَدْدَانَ اللَّنِي أُنزِلَتْ فِيهِ Qur'an. That the month of Ramadan is the month in which the Quran was recited, was revealed. So, a few more comments on that. What does it mean? So, it means that one special feature of this month is this is the month which, in the true sense, I'm not talking about any ideological sect, in the true sense, we can become Ahlul Quran. Means people for whom the Quran really enters their hearts. People for whom the Qur'an really enters their life. People for whom the Qur'an really changes their life. This will be something we talk about more tomorrow, inshallah. But very briefly, because I don't know if everybody here today will be there tomorrow. So one way to do this is to try to read the entire Qur'an in Arabic. Qur'an and Arabiya. Only the Arabic can be called Qur'an. Translation is not Kalamullah, that's Kalamul Insan of the translator. To read Quran and Arabiya, the whole Quran in this month. Because it is Sunnah that Sayyidina Rasulullah actually, Taraweeh, he was reciting Quran to Angel Jabir in its entirety. Like annual review. Hmm? So it is Sunnah to recite the whole Quran in Arabic in this month. Second thing that we had mentioned, Very briefly, was remembered that because it's the month of Qur'an, it's easier to connect with Qur'an. Easier to read, easier to understand, easier to feel. And another thing is easier to memorize. So try in this month of Ramadan to increase your memorization. Even if it's just few ayahs, one or two small surahs. Maybe you say, okay, the rest of the time in the year I don't have time to memorize more Qur'an. Okay, fine. But in Ramadan, every Ramadan, try to increase your memorization level. Even if it's just an increment, but show Allah that you're crawling, that you're taking some baby steps. Hmm? Even that's something. It shows some movement, some directions, some talab, some desire. So you should really try to increase, and you will enjoy. Maybe for some of you it's been so long since you memorized some new part of the Quran, you may not remember, but when you memorize some new additional Quran, you enjoy using that in prayer. Now you have something new to say. You want to spend your whole life just reciting Kudyal, Kafuru, and Kudalana all the time in every prayer. Hmm? What if sometimes you want that I wish I could stand for one hour but you don't know enough Quran to do that. (laughs) Right? You can't even if you want to. You wouldn't be able to do it. Hmm? So try to increase your memorization a bit more in this month. Hmm? Even if it's just few ayahs. Even if you're the most beginning. Even if it's just one or two ayahs. But you should try and you will find it easier in this month to memorize more Qur'an. And those who are more, more, spent more time already developing on their deen, then they should try to memorize a good chunk. Maybe one juice every Ramadan, maybe half a juice. maybe one long surah. So at least sometimes when I want to, at least there should be one long surah that I know. So that if I ever want to stand a bit longer in prayer and my jazbah is shocking. The Kujhob Arnikalim, right, should have some ability to be able to recite more. And also, when I was talking about meaning, it's not necessary that you try to understand the entire meaning of the entire Quran, although that's sometimes also of course, what in our tradition we call doret Tafsir. But at least try to connect to the Quran at some level of reflection. Maybe pick up pick one surah, even a small surah, and really think about it. Really read its meaning, read the tafsir, learn from ulama, listen to different ulama's tafsir of it, and just reflect and try to put it in your heart, put it in your life. Even if you implement one surah in this month of Ramadan, it's an easier month for you to try to practice Quran. Right? This is something you should also try. Even if it's just one ayah. For example, the ulama of tafsir mentioned there are certain ayahs of Quran that even just that one single ayah, if you lived your life according to that ayah, that ayah alone, its meaning and feeling will be enough to motivate you to follow the entirety. For example, inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Raji'un. If every second of your life you really felt, I'm from Allah, and I'm going back to Allah, that would change your life. <laughs> that would change your life. If all the time this was really what you felt, so we all know that ayah, right? We all know it's translation also. But we don't feel it. It hasn't become part of our life feeling. So take one ayah even like that and keep thinking about it, keep reflecting it, make dua to ta Allah Ta'ala, Bang Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala, you've put this ayah in my tongue. Maybe you've memorized it, you put it on my mind. Allah ta'ala, I want you to inscribe it on my heart. I want every feeling of my heart to go through the prism of this ayah. That's why Qur'an was revealed, To be the prism of our feelings. That's also something you should do in month of Ramadan. So, here, a few other practical things, right? Especially now, in the last few days of Shaban, you should do something that we call Muhasabah. And you should sit down and take an annual account, and audit check of your sins. Try to see what these two angels have written. Try to take a glimpse into your annual record of the Book of Deeds. And think what type of sins are written. Then you will think what type of sins need to be erased in this month of Ramadan. You see, first you have to see what's been written and remember that. Remind yourself then you will be able to target that and erase all of those things through istighfar and tawbah in this month of Ramadan. And we also mentioned dua, right? You have to make a lot of dua in this month of Ramadan. And that's also a barakah of this month. That sometimes people say, I find it hard to make dua. My heart has become hardened. Well, in Ramadan, automatically, your heart will start to become softened. So take advantage of that. Softening of the heart and make du'a and make more and more du'a so that this blackened, rusted heart gets softened and inshallah, gets melted in this month of Ramadan. Another feature of Ramadan is there's some collective aspects to Ramadan. Some ways to bond with the community. So for example, mai ibadah, which is تراويح you should try to pray Salatul Taraweeh in the Masjid. So you get more sense of community, more feeling of bondedness with your fellow brothers, right? my iftar, sometimes you should have iftar just with your family, I mean it's just you and your wife, or wife and children, or however it may be, or if you're unmarried, just you and your parents. Sometimes you should have iftar with the community, you should use it for different bondings, right? And even some of you could do it at suhoor, I suppose, right, or especially the family part. But if maybe, what do I mean? Sometimes in this day and age people are so busy with the hectic lives they never even as a family sit down and have a meal together. So they have iftar together as a family, right? Have one meal together a day as a family in Ramadan. Use it to connect, use the barakah of Ramadan to also bring barakah in the family bonds and ties between the hearts of people. Then, نَلَا اِجْتَمَيْا عَمَلَ الصَّحْبَةِ صَحْبَةِ means Bayan, beyond Dars, right? Use it to join in groups and gatherings of the people who are seeking the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. Because our deen is not a go-alone deen that you have to alone try to find the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. No. Allah Ta'ala wants you to do it together جَمِيع as a jamaa, as a group as a collective. So try to increase in that as well. So these are ijtima'i, collective aspects. And they're also infiradi, individual aspects to Ramadan. And the most important one in that is your individual one-on-one relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This month of Ramadan is the best way and best time for you to build that relationship. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has already announced in the words of the Prophet Hadith, that, as wa ana Allah Ta'ala will give the reward for all of the different acts on the Day of Judgment. But, Allah Ta'ala says, as sawmun that the fasting is for me. as means fast. Li is for me, Allah Ta'ala. wa ana and I myself will give the reward for it. The angel can't write down the reward for it. That's what it means. So, the angel writes down, he fasted but can't write the reward. <laughs> That's left blank. Because Allah Ta'ala says this person fasted only for me. What does it mean? So Mu'adith explained that nobody will know whether you fasted. So easy to cheat on your fast. You could eat so many times in the day, you'll be alone. You might eat, you might drink. It's purely a matter between you and Allah Ta'ala. When you're if nothing else, when you make wudu, and you put water in your mouth, you could swallow a little bit. <laughs> no one in the world would ever know. Only Allah Ta'ala would know. But mashallah, you would see that alhamdulillah, all of us when we fast, alhamdulillah, right? We don't cheat. But it's good training for us. That's how we should be in every aspect of our life. That Allah, Allah even when I'm alone, even when it's secrecy, even when there's no one watching, even when there's no one who will know, even then I will never cheat and sin. I'll never do it. So Ramadan is a good training. We actually become mukhliseen. Whereas normally we're not like that. Normally if we get the opportunity to sin and we think that nobody is watching us and nobody will find out and it will never be discovered, we sin. Most of us, the only reason we don't sin is either we don't have the opportunity to sin or we have the opportunity but we're scared, maybe somebody will find out. We're scared, maybe somebody will discover. We're scared of being embarrassed. Hmm? That's not the right reason to leave sin. The mere reason to leave sin is fear of Allah. Wa ta'ala. Right? But when it comes to fasting, we have that level of ikhlas. We don't sin and break the fast. And we know nobody will ever know. Nobody will find out. Nobody is human. No creation is watching. But still, we don't do it. So, in the fasting, we actually reach the level of mukhliseen. Purely, sincerely, for the sake of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So since we're doing that in the fast, we should use that time to build our relationship and beg Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala, as muhlis as you have made me in this act of fasting, make me as mukhlis in every single hukum of Qur'an, sunnah, sharia. Just like even now I'm obeying you secretly, when I could have sinned against you secretly, just like that in every teaching of deen, I always want to obey you secretly and when alone. And I want to stop sinning against you when I'm secretly in Allah. To build your individual relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That also is to work on your ibadah. So one thing is to increase your ibadah in this month. However much, but it should be more than you do outside Ramadan. But I would suggest especially, try to increase the quality of your Salah. Another thing to take advantage of is when you're fasting, so that Lohr, that Asr, right? That you're fasting, even the Maghrib Fajr also. You will be able to focus more in your Salah in Ramadan. So make it an effort, make it a project, make it your mission. That in this month, I want to improve, fix the quality of my Salah quality of my awareness of Allah Ta'ala, remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, feelings in my Salah. It's more within reach in this month of Ramadan. So it's not just about quantity of Ibadah. Yes, you should increase your amount of Ibadah, but try to increase the quality of your Ibadah. So whether that's the amount of Qur'an, that's Salah, Istighfar, Druj, Salawat, Dhikr, whatever you do, try to focus on its quality. Then Ramadan is in, in du'a. One du'a you should make throughout the month from day one is of kubuliya. Allah Ta'ala accept my fast. Allah Ta'ala fasted today. That's the sunnah du'a. Allah Ta'ala fasted today for your sake. Allah Ta'ala accept it for me. I tend to fast tomorrow for your sake. Accepted for me. Allah Ta'ala offer taraweeh. Accept it for me. All Everything you do, ask for kubuliyah. You read Quran. After you read Quran, Allah Ta'ala accept it for me. Any act of ibadah you are able to do in this month of Ramadan, keep making du'a for kubuliya and make du'a for istikamah. I want to stay like this after Ramadan. You gave me this feeling in Quran this month. I want to keep it. I want to keep it. I want to preserve it. I want it to remain. I want to be consistent. So make du'a for kubuliya and make du'a for istikama after every single ibadah in the month of Ramadan. And finally, last aspect of month of Ramadan, which we will end this entire day course on, is that Ramadan is the month of Tawbah. This side, Ramadan was the month of Taqwa, Lallakum Tattakum, Ramadan was the month of Qur'an, Shahr Ramadan was the Unzila Qur'an, Ramadan is also the month of Tawbah. Toba. That we know from a hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ. Very famous it is. Sayyidina Rasulullah Shahra <laughs> Ramadan about the month of Ramadan. Au <speaking in> Wallahu <Hebrew> That the first ten days of this month of Ramadan are mercy. Wa o Satuhu and the middle ten days of this month of Ramadan are forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wahirouhu <speaking> Itkum <in> nar <Hebrew> In the last ten days of this month, Allah Taala frees people from the fire of Jahannam. What does it mean? So what it means is that there are three types of people. Again, the three levels, but different time. Type. Three types of people who come into Ramadan. First type is that person who actually was from the Salihin all year was obeying Allah Ta'ala, practicing deen, staying away from sin. For them, the second Ramadan starts, they get the mercies of Allah wa Ta'ala They're drowning in the mercies of Allah wa Ta'ala They're like that person who brings a clean glass. So when there's a clean glass, the poor pours milk inside the glass, immediately. So they start getting the nur, anwarat, barakat, rahmat, the mercies of Ramadan, immediately. Then, second group are those who were sometimes sadiheen, sometimes practicing virtuous, obedient, remembering believers, and sometimes they were sinning, sometimes they missed fajr. sometimes they misbehaved with their wife, sometimes they got angry, sometimes they felt some pride, Hmm? sometimes they skipped maybe their zagat in the past year, so they were mixed. Mixed back. They had some good, but they also had some sin. So for them, وَأَوْ سَتُهُ So they enter Ramadan, and ten days they do this fast of Salihin. So they fast outwardly, but they also fast from sin. They also try to have taqwa. They leave sin 100% for ten days. وَأَوْ سَتُهُ By the middle of the tenth day, ten days, Allah sends forgiveness for them. He forgives them for their entire year of transgression. Maybe he even forgives them for their entire lifetime of sin. So they brought to Allah Ta'ala a dirty glass in Ramadan. Just spending 10 days properly, Allah Ta'ala cleaned their glass. And in the middle, pouring milk. It's example I'm giving you. Pouring milk into the glass. They get the forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala. And then they also get the same rahmah that Allah Ta'ala gave in the first 10 days. What does that mean? So Allah Ta'ala forgives them from the prayers that they missed. And because they were so true tawbah in the first 10 days, Allah Ta'ala out of his mercy, he decrees for them to be musalleen. People who will always pray regularly. Allah Ta'ala forgives them from all of the lustful glances they did. And then out of his mercy, he bestows upon them sifat of haya. He gives them the attribute of modesty so that they don't return to that sin again. Like Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran. Allahu <laughs> waleeum ladheena amanu, them mina the dulamati ila the That Allah is the wali of those who believe, truly, and He takes them out from the darknesses of sin into the nur of hidayah, the nur of taqwa, the nur of imam, the nur of yaqeen, the nur of Haya. This happens to them. Just ten days they spent. Allah <laughs> akbar. That's the power of Ramadan. Then there was a third group. Who was that third type of person? This was that believer who was so distant from Allah so disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that his name was actually written amongst the people of Jahannam means that if that person had died before Ramadan on the day of judgment they would have been sent to the fire of Jahannam for some period of time Allah they're on the list of the people of Jannah, But the month of Ramadan comes and this person makes true Tawbah. It's the month of Tawbah. And he makes true Tawbah and he spends 20 days sin-free. He makes every prayer. He fasts. He protects his eye from sin, his ear from sin, his tongue from sin, his mind from sin. Hmm? He spends 20 days like Salihin. Even though before he had lived an entire lifetime which had made him worthy, could not worthy of jannah. He spent 20 days as salihin. Allah Ta'ala takes him out of jannah. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine the power of that month that just 20 days of Ramadan can change a person's life from being a jahannami to a jannati. Mm-hmm. That's 180 degree, real 180 degree change. Just 20 days of this month of Ramadan. And it comes every single night Allah, Allah takes out more and more from that list of the people destined for Jannah on the last 10 nights. So وَآخْرُهُ Itkum Minan النَّاعُ نَاعُكُمْ مِنَا So means that we should not get off to a slow start in Ramadan. What most people know is the power of the last 10 days. I just showed you the power of the first 20 days. (laughs) Because the freeing from hellfire starts on the night of the 21st. (laughs) Means the power of spending the first 20 days properly. Such that you can go from Jahannami to Jinnati. So don't get off to a slow start in Ramadan. That's why sales need to prepare in Rajab. Prepare in Shaban. So that by the time Ramadan came, off to a running start. And spend those 20 days so well that Allah Ta'ala takes our name out also from the list of the people who are going to Jannah, Because really that is how all of us should feel. That we are in that category. We are what one of my teachers in Karachi used to say and I'll say it in Urdu first Allah Ta'ala ke baaghi Means that we are the runaway slaves of the true master. You know, if there's a slave who runs away, hmm? then he comes back to his master. And when he comes back to his master, first he's scared. hmm? But he comes back also hoping that I've heard my master is merciful and he'll take me back. But at the same time, he's also scared that I was run away. I disobeyed. I betrayed. I was disloyal. I violated the teachings. I disobeyed the messenger the master sent to me. On the one hand he's scared, hmm? and On the one hand he's hopeful. So he comes back hmm, to yes. his master. And if he's lucky enough, that his master is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hmm? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala welcomes all the runaway slaves back. No matter how much that person sinned, no matter how long that person sinned, no matter how brutally that person sinned. No matter how crudely that person sinned, all the person has to do is just present himself back. Just return back to his master. Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves when his runaway slave comes back to him. Even more than if there was a mother and her son ran away from her. And then imagine every night the mother is waiting for the son. Wanting the son to come back, and if after some time the son comes back to the mother, the happiness of the mother that my son came back to me is still less. The happiness Allah Ta'ala has when my runaway believer he came back to me is more. Ya ayuhal insan ma gharraka bi kareem. As Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, it's not even just from mu'min, Ya insan. Oh human, oh atheist. <laughs> if anybody wants to know what does Islam say about atheism, read this ayah to them. Don't condemn, we invite. Allah doesn't condemn, He invites. Ya ayyuhal insan, maa ghallaka kareem. That oh human, what is it that <laughs> it deceived you? I'm malik, but I'm al <laughs> kareem. What does it mean? I'm your master, but I'm kareem. I'm generous. And I'm a rambuk, I'm yours. <laughs> I've never stopped being yours. You can never stop being mine. That's what Allah, Allah tells the runaway slave. You may think you stopped being mine, but I never stopped being yours. And the truth is you never stopped being mine. Yes, Allah says in Quran, قُلْ يَا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا اللَّهِ Inna يَغْفِرُ الظَّنُوبَ jamiya. So who are these people? Allah is addressing in Quran. not, Alladina amnu, Alladina asrafu ala unfasen. The sinners. This is the verse in Quran about sinners, those who sin and wrong themselves, who did zulm and israf on themselves. They sin so much. What did Allah Taala tell them? Ya ibadi, who made the Oh my slaves, Ibadi, my Ibad. You can never stop being mine. Allahu <laughs> What a kind Allah <laughs> subhanahu What a kind and loving master. He says, you can never stop being mine. And I can never stop being yours. La tukna tu Don't you ever despair that you cannot get the mercy of Allah. No. Inna Allah. You should know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah ta'ala forgives all sins entirely. This month of Ramadan is for us runaway slaves to present ourselves to the wave of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And let that wave overcome us. The month for us to make true tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Rabbi Kareem, I want you to forgive me for all of my previous sins. And in the future, I want to live my life according to your pleasure. In the future, I want to live my life according to the sunnah of your beloved messenger. And in the future, I want to spend my life trying for this tazkiyah, for taqwa, for tahara. I want to purify myself of all the impurities. And I want to enter the purity of taqwa. This is our niyyah, this is our pledge, this is our intention, this is our hope for this month of Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala if we can live this Ramadan like that, then maybe Allah ta'ala may also include us amongst his blessed beloveds, amongst his saliheen, amongst muhlisheen, amongst muttaqeen. maybe this year Ramadan can really be la'allukum tattaqoon for us. Wa al da'wana, alhamdulillahi rammil alameen. Say Subhanallahi <laughs> Muhammad. Ya Allah ya Rabbul Karim ya ya weak, sinning servants and slaves ya Allah we have dirtied our heart for the whole year and we are desperate for Ramadan we need this Ramadan we need all of the blessings and mercies that you shower in Ramadan. And we are coming with the hope of لَعَلُّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ We are begging you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make this Ramadan a month of taqwa for us, a month of Toba for us, a month of kubuliya for us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to have every aspect of this fast. We want to observe the zahir of the fast. We want to attain and realize the batin of the fast. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that in this month you grant us the fast of the the fast of the saliheen, the fast of the Siddiqin, and muqallaboon Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya that we too want that throughout the year that we never want to look at anything that is displeasing to you Ya that we ask that you forgive us for all the sins that we did with our eyes Ya that protect our eyes, safeguard guard our eyes, restore the nur in our heart that we lost through our eyes, Ya that we want to use our eyes to look at the Kaaba, we want to use our eyes to gaze upon much We want to use our eyes to gaze upon Quran. We want to use our eyes to gaze upon your beloved Odiyah. We want you to return our eyes to us on the Day of Judgment. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to gaze upon you and gaze upon Anbiya and gaze upon Sayyidina Rasulullah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us true to this Amana, true to these eyes. And Ya Allah, we want never to utter a word that is against your wish. Ya protect us from every Every kind of lying Every exaggeration Every backbiting Every rumor-mongering Every perjury Every falsehood Every profanity Ya Allah We ask that you save us From a talk that is pointless A talk that is foolish A talk that is futile Ya Allah Take us away from the harang Take us away from the makrooh Take us away from the fudul And the love. Ya Allah Make us people of hikmah Make us people of purpose Make us people of goal-oriented Ya Allah Ya and Yallah, we want to use our ears in your service. Protect us from listening to haram. Save us from even hearing haram. Yallah, we live in an age and a society where haram is being broadcast on every frequency. Yallah, we ask that you protect our ears and our hearts from all of those broadcasts. Yallah, we ask that you broadcast your Hidayah to our heart. We ask that you broadcast the Nur of Taqwa to our heart. We ask that you broadcast the Nur of Hayan to our heart. And beginning we want to protect every single limb and organ we have from sin we want to follow the Qur'an Sunnah and Sharia entirely and completely Ya Allah Ya Rabbi and Ya Rabbi Karim you enable us to do amal and all of the teachings of the ulama Mashaik and Ramadan let us eat less in this month let us pray more in this month let us recite more in this month let us memorize more in this month let us feel more in this month Ya Rabbi let us do more Sunnah in this month more charity in this coming month Ya Rabbi more dua this coming month. Ya Allah, we need each and every blessing you have put in Ramadan. Ya the beginning. we ask that you send your karam on us, your faza on us, your rahmah on us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, guide us, Ya Allah, when we go astray. Remind us when we forget. Grant us not when we are ignorant. Ya Allah, never let us become distant from you. Always keep us close and near to you. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. کو معاف کرنا او مہربان فرما ہر پیکرنج گناہ دن میں کیے معاف فرما رات میں کیے معاف فرما سب بھر جو کیے نوافرما جو زندگی بر کرتے رہے معاف فرما اے کریم اس رمضان المبارک میں ہمیں گناہ سے نجات Became Hamsako Apanabana, Apanabana, it became Upanayat the same for Ma, could be Veroke Havana for Ma, could be Nafsitan, Havana for Ma, Homaki, but Najate, we are beginning Hameup Nafsit Churwadiji, Najatata for Ma, and Became, we are amongst those believers who have earned the Hellfire, yet a Became, we ask that you grant us it Minanar, Najat Minanar, salvation from the fire, yet a Became जीया अल्लाह हम आपके बाहे गुलाम हैं छुड़वाने के लिए आए हैं we want to ask you that we want you allah Allah, ya Rabbi, ask that we want to become closer to You, beloved to You, loving to You, loyal to You, true to You. Ya Rabikarin, make us amongst Your ibad min ibadik as-salihin. Ya Allah, ya Hamil Ya we make dua for all of our friends, all of our family, all of our associates, all of our colleagues, all of our neighbors, all of our brethren, all of our teachers, all of our students. Ya we ask that all of our communities, yellow we ask that you send your special Hidayah on their hearts. They're better than us, Ya yeah Allah. They're more worthy than us, Ya yeah Allah. If they knew what we knew, they would love you better than us, Ya yeah Allah. Guide them, Ya yeah Allah. Help them, Ya yeah Allah. And we make dua, Ya for the of this Ummah send your special rahmah on them Send your special help on them Show them help when there is none coming Show them a light when there is darkness Around them, He'll protect them when they are Surrounded, rescue them when they have Fallen, guide them in front of Darkness, and the beginning, we ask That you accept us for the khidmat of deen Khidmat of this Ummah, khidmat Of makhluk, Ya Allah Ya Alhamdul rahimin Yallah Bikrin we make du'a for all of those Who have ever asked for du'a Wanted Dua Hope for Dua Whoever writes over us For Dua We ask you include All of such people In all these Dua's And Yaren B'Karim We ask you hear The heartfelt Dua's Of the heart The silent cries Of the heart The silent pleas And yearnings Of the heart Yaren B'Karim Sab ki dili faryat Ko kabul farma Dili tamanna Ko kabul farma Sab ki dil ki pokaar Ko lebayk farma Yaren B'Karim Ki Kis ki samane apne halat B'yann karay Yaren B'Karim Aap sab کی حقیقت جانتے ہیں کھوئے اپنے آپ کو آپ کی سامنے چھپا نہیں سکتا یعنی بکرین ہمیں دلی مرادوں کو پورا فرما دلی فریاد کو پورا فرما اپنا گھرم سماننا فرما جتنا انداز سے آپ نے گناہ کی پوشی یعنی اسی انداز سے ان گناہوں کو قدم <laughs> فرما